Friends, the Lord be with you. Let me first of all uh, wish you a warm welcome to St. Mary's uh, this evening as we continue with our series on the second letter of Peter, chapter 1, verses 16 to 21, uh, on page 1213 of the Church Bible. And there is also a uh, sermon outline uh, in the center of your church bulletin. Uh, the one that I will be using is uh, on page 6, uh, with the caption, Don't just take our word for it. Check the word. This is the, the one, the uh, sermon guide that's on page 16. Uh, page 6, I'm sorry. And... Uh, let me, let me pray as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for gathering us uh, around your word as a family in your name. We pray, Father, that you will open our hearts as we read your word and uh, discuss your word. And we pray, Father, for your spirit to reveal you to us, uh, even as we uh, consider the passage together. And Lord, particularly uh, this evening, I ask for your spirit to guide me to speak the truth uh, from your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, friends, uh, last week we discussed the first 15 verses as the Apostle Peter <clears throat> uh, showed us a blueprint of Christian living. A blueprint of living, uh, practicing and growing in godliness and Christian qualities that is only made possible through our faith and by the, by the grace of God for us. As we begin, I'd like to read once again um, verse 2 of the previous week's uh, lesson. Let me just read to you. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Our friends, today, just before we go to our passage from verses 16 onwards to the end, I want us to pay particular attention to the word knowledge that is uh, uh, in this verse 2. And I also want to, uh, to point out to you, just in case you miss it, uh, and notice how in this very short passage, Peter refers to knowing about God and responding to this knowledge a total of six times. You will find this in verse 2, verse 3, verse 5, verse 6, verse 8, and even verse 12. When you read this, in this short passage, the emphasis on the word knowledge, knowing about God, we see Peter reaffirming that knowledge of God is just not about uh, intellectual knowledge about God, a book knowledge, so to speak. It is also about an internal, relational knowledge of God. It is not just about head knowledge, but it is about heart knowledge as well. Because it is only true, this heart knowledge and internally driven knowledge, that true Christian faith multiplies Christian excellences or Christian qualities in us so that Christians may live a life that is worthy of Him. So as we come into our passage this evening, verses 16 to 21. We find that Peter once again directs our attention uh, and emphasizes another critical aspects, aspect of the knowledge of God. He is going to say this in the next uh, 
few verses for us. He's going to emphasize that knowledge of God must be from true sources, from cautious sources, so to speak, not just by pulling theories um, from the air, so to speak, or digging holes in the ground and pulling theories out of the ground. Scripture doesn't come to us that way. Knowledge of God's, God must come from true and, um, and uh, real sources. And Peter is going to outline a twofold approach to the knowledge of God. Firstly, through the apostolic witness, and secondly, through the prophetic witness. Well, then firstly, are you on item two, if you are following this in the uh, sermon outline? The apostolic witness from verses 16 to 18. And Peter has this to say in verse 16. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This is what they saw, Peter said. This is what we saw. We were eyewitnesses of this. And the event that Peter was referring to was the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus. You will find this uh, event recorded in the Synoptic Gospels in Mark chapter 9, Matthew chapter 17, and Luke 9. And it was an event when Jesus brought his inner circle of um, disciples, Peter, James, and John, up a high mountain, and there before them, before their very eyes, the appearance of Jesus was transformed into something which Peter can only describe here as His Majesty, implying that Jesus was changed from what they have known Him to be into someone who is simply majestic, kingly, awe-inspiring, out of this world, so to speak, extraordinary. And furthermore, adding to the tension of this event, the three synoptics also recorded that two of Israel's greatest prophets, Moses and Elijah, stood with him. But no matter how great they were, they paled before the majestic and transfigured Lord Jesus himself. The synoptics described this transfigured Jesus in this way. Matthew said, His face shone like the sun. And although Luke did not give any details, he recorded that the appearance of Jesus has changed. And it is not just the face that has changed. It was as if the power, the, 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 uh, the light that is coming from inside his body, the, 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 the radiance of his body exuded itself through his clothes. And for Matthew described it this way, his clothes became white as light. And Mark was to say, in, it was, the clothes were intensely white such that no one on earth could bleach them. And Luke was to describe it as clothes being dazzlingly white. So this was what the apostles saw. But the apostolic witness did not end there. They actually heard the voice of God himself, affirming his son during this transfiguration. And this is what they heard. We read verse 17 and 18 together. For when he received, when Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. 
along with this, out of those, this world splendor of Jesus' appearance, the three apostles heard God's voice speaking to them, coming to them through the clouds, affirming, confirming that Jesus was God's son and that God was pleased with him. For Jesus would go from here to fulfill a task, the task that God has set for him to do. He would go to the cross carrying the sins of the whole world so that those who believe in him would live. So, the apostolic, the apostolic um, uh, witness was what they saw, what they heard. So now, what did it all imply? Well, firstly, let us see what the, the two of Israel's greatest prophets signify. Firstly, Moses, the one whom God commanded to lead Israel out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land. Moses was the one to whom God entrusted the law. Moses, the one who met God on top of the holy mountain of Sinai amidst the clouds and the thunder and the smoke. The Moses who pointed towards the greater Jesus who would deliver God's people not from human or national bondage, but from the greater bondage to sin and death. Moses, as the Israelites and the Jews would know, Moses, the prophet of the law. Now to the other great son of Israel, Elijah. Elijah was the one, if you remember, who never died. He was caught up by God uh, to heaven in chariots of fire. Elijah was the one who would come before the appearance of the Lord to his temple, the one that was represented by John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for the first coming of the Lord to bring in the New Testament message of hope and salvation. This is the same Elijah who, in Malachi 3, would herald the coming of the Lord, bringing in that great and terrifying day of the Lord. Friends, Elijah, the prophet of the eschaton, the prophet who would herald the coming of the Lord in the age to come. So what does it mean to us? What does it mean to the disciples at that time? The transfiguration was an advanced glimpse of Jesus' glory when he would come again in his majesty as king and judge over all things. Friends, this is the first way in which the knowledge of God is made known to Christians, through the voice, through the writings, through the sight and sound of the apostolic witness, through what the apostles saw, heard, and felt. Now, we go on. The second way in which knowledge of God is made known is through what Peter is to describe as the prophetic word, the prophetic witness in verses 19 to 21. And Peter writes this way in verse 19. And we have sent something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And Peter uh, seems to say to us, don't just take our word for it. Check it out in the scripture, the prophetic word. After all, when we were up in the mountain, there were just the three of us. But you have the whole of scripture to check back and see whether what we, have, we were saying was uh, true or not. You should check it out in the Old Testament scriptures yourself to make more sure that what we say makes sense to you. And these are the scriptures that are written in Psalms 2, 97 and 
1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.
And it is in these areas where God has not yet fully revealed himself to us that we should be even more careful not to misinterpret that, uh, not to misinterpret or to force our meaning onto this passage just because we want to make it mean something to us. We should be more careful. One thing we can know for certain, as the previous verse says, one day all Scripture will be made clear to us. Indeed, on that day, we will no longer need Scripture, for Jesus himself will make all things clear to us. And the third thing about the holy word, uh, the prophetic word, is that it is Holy Spirit-inspired. And Peter writes this way in verse 21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Peter reinforces this teaching. The prophetic word did not come from the mind of men or from mere human beings. The prophetic word is God's word. Scripture is God's word revealed to us from men and women as they were carried and guided by the Holy Spirit. So friends, in conclusion, what have we seen today? Well, firstly, we have seen the witnessed certainty. The knowledge that inspires us to live excellent Christian lives is based on the certainty of God's precious and very great promises. And this certainty is twofold. First of all, it lies in the apostolic eyewitness accounts, and secondly, it also lies in the prophetic word, what we know as Old Testament Scripture. Now, friends, living in the 21st century as we are, we have the complete canons of Scripture, uh, and we will, of course, realize that the apostolic witness itself has become Scripture, what we know as the New Testament. And now Peter, when he was writing this letter, just had the prophetic word in the Old Testament and a few of the um, early Pauline writings and the synoptics, uh, Mark, Matthew, and Luke. But in the same way, just as the Old Testament scripture pointed to the king who would bring in the everlasting kingdom of God, so too in the transfiguration, the apostles have been given a glimpse of this king in the glorified form of the transfigured Jesus Christ himself on that holy mountain. Yes, friends, Jesus will return just as he said he would. We can be certain of that. That is the certainty of the witness. Now, secondly, there is an impossible lesson for us to learn. This is impossible because if we, knowing this certainty that Jesus will return to us in glory to rule us, it is impossible for us to do nothing about it. It is impossible for us to continue in our sinful lives knowing that what we are doing will surely bring down God's judgment on us on that last day of history. Friends, we just can't sit back and be complacent and continue in our immoral or sexual relationships or in our unethical professional or financial dealings or in our hostile and unforgiving responses to others just because we don't like the way they look or don't like the way they put their clothes on or the way they smell. And we, it is impossible for us to sit back and be complacent in our uncaring attitude for others around us, especially our Christian brothers and sisters who are in need. And that's why 
repeated calls for us to be more diligent to make our calling and election sure in verse 10 of chapter 1. Friends, that would be the impossible lesson. So thirdly, we can bring home the only possible response. Friends, one Christian writer has some pretty harsh words uh, to say to us. As I was reading uh, some literature, uh, preparing this um, a talk, uh, I read about this Christian writer, and he says this. He says, If you are not prepared to be changed, don't read the Bible. Let me repeat that. If you are not prepared to be changed, don't read the Bible. Our friends, as a pastor, he is saddened by the recurrent sinfulness of seemingly religious people coming into church every Sunday, sitting in the pews, hearing God's Word read and preached to them, singing hymns of praise and joining together in corporate prayer, and yet refusing to change. There was, he observed no change in them, no increase in loving others around them. Friends, the Bible is written by God using human agents as they are carried along by the Holy Spirit. God speaks to us through the Bible. He reveals himself to us, his holiness, his nature, his person, his truth, his love, his grace, his mercy. And God seeks through his word to work in his will in our lives, to change us, to mold us from what we are into what he wants us to be. And for us, not to be changed by reading or by hearing his word, and not by understanding him, is the same as to harden our hearts against him. Friends, this is tantamount to ignoring and disrespecting our Creator God, our Redeemer, and our Sanctifier. Friends, our only possible reaction, our response to God, is to be changed by him as we learn more and more about him and his grace for us. And so if we read, as we read the Bible or hear it preached to us, we soften our hearts, we open our eyes to see, and we open our ears to hear. Just don't be caught by surprise as God reaches into the deepest parts of us to make us His very own, a people saved through the sacrifice of His Son on the cross. Friends, this is the only possible response, to allow ourselves to be changed by the Word of God, to make us change us from what we are to what He wants us to be. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, your word uh, to us this evening. We thank you that you have uh, brought us together uh, to read this passage and to uh, discuss it. And we pray, Father, for your spirit to, um, to work in us, to change us from what we are into what we can be. We know this is not possible by ourselves, but we know that with you uh, and the work of your Holy Spirit, we can be changed and become more excellent Christians as we seek to live lives that will be pleasing to you and that will be edifying to those who are around us. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.